This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler, Ryan Shumpert, and Jack Foster. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler, joined to my right, that is Ryan Shumpert, joined across the table, that is Jack Foster. Today is Thursday, December 14th. Wow, just about 11 days away till Christmas. The holiday season is here. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing? What's going on? That's crazy. I didn't, 11 days till Christmas. Everything's going so fast. It does. This is the look of a man across the table that still needs to do some Christmas shopping. <laughs> All of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the, there was like a horror in your eye when you heard the 11 days. I also need to do Christmas shopping, though not all of it. I've got probably 60, 70, 70% done. I, I think I'm in the same boat. It's just, I just have one more person, uh, and that's that's my mother. I've, I've got to finish off those gifts, and then I should be done for the days. But, uh, yeah, it's flying by. I mean, between bowl season and college basketball and just the holidays and everything else that may be going on, time just kind of slips away. But here we are, middle of December. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, all, all going well, and it uh, feels like it's – Finally, kind of been a little bit slower week. Um, obviously, still plenty to, to talk about and plenty going on. But really, for the first time since, I don't know, fall camp, it feels like this week, or, or maybe the, the bye week, it, it feels like this is kind of the first first time it's slowed down any. Yeah, it does. It, it, it certainly does feel like things have uh, shifted gears a little bit, maybe a, uh, a little bit of a downshift. But here we go. Still got plenty on the menu to talk about. Speaking of the menu, here's what we got going on today. Ryan, obviously a lot of football conversation coming out. Yesterday, we had the schedule release, something that people have been anticipating for weeks and months now at this point. Finally got it during the SEC's reveal show yesterday. So we're going to be breaking down Tennessee's schedule coming up soon. Um, We will also be talking a little bit about just sort of transfer portal activity, maybe some of the marquee names in the portal, maybe some of the movement that's going on. I don't think Tennessee has been certainly one of the harder-hit teams from the SEC, but of course there are some noteworthy names from the 2023 roster that we will get into. And then, like normal, like we've been doing the last couple weeks, we'll close the show out with a little bit of basketball conversation. Tennessee Vols will travel to San Antonio uh, I guess they'll what? Probably travel tomorrow. Either way. Yeah, tomorrow afternoon sometime. Game on Saturday night. That's going to be at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern time Ooh. here in Knoxville. That game is actually going to be in San Antonio, though. Uh, so going down for the Hall of Fame Classic. One other thing to note about that game, and hey, maybe it's fitting that it's a Hall of Fame Classic sort of game. Maybe it's fitting that it's back in the Lone Star State. But Rick Barnes has the opportunity to lock down the sole possession of number 14 in the country for all-time head coaching wins with a victory on Saturday over North Carolina State. So maybe something else to keep a watch on. But is it is it not sole possession of 15th place? No, I think it's going to be sole possession of 14. They're both tied for 14 right now. Okay, they're, t- I thought lefty, they were tied. Lefty, lefty, dry cell, tied yes. for 14. There's no 15, okay. and there's only a 16. I thought they were tied for 15. So yeah, yeah. My, my apologies. No, all, all good. I mean, it's right there, and you know, there's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of stuff there. I, I, you know, I was looking it up though the the other day, and it was kind of interesting. Lefty dry cell, right? 80s, 90s, Maryland, yeah, yeah, stuff like that. You know, when he retired, he was the fourth winningest coach ever. You know, and just then this little bit of time at you know I say a little bit of time, 20 years ago by right, it's tons of good coaches across the league, and now he's kind of dropped. He will drop all the way back to 15 after Rick Barnes passes him with the next victory. Just crazy how, how many names can kind of shoot up the ladder, and obviously it's probably true in every sport, but it just kind of caught my attention when I was looking it up the other day. Yeah, it is kind of surprising. I didn't even realize that he'd coached a lot after he left Maryland. I mean, obviously Maryland's kind of where I always thought of uh, him reading some ACC stuff, him being there for a long time, but coached eight years at James Madison and yeah. uh, another six or seven years at Georgia State after that. I think you can scroll up in that top paragraph that you're looking at. I believe he's the first head coach to ever win 100-plus games at four different Division One programs. That's correct. That's a, that's a pretty stout feat right there. That is, yeah, and that's a good question. I Did Rick Barnes get 100 at Providence or um, Clemson? I'm no, sure I actually, he's gotten 100 at Tennessee and obviously okay, so Texas. I don't believe Clemson was. I, I have this. Um, I actually have these numbers for you. I wish I'd pulled them up a minute earlier. Uh, they're in my article. If you see it anywhere on, I, I got it pulled up okay, here. Yeah, on, yeah. Uh, Go for it. He got. He went twenty and ten in his one year Hold at on. George Mason. I think it's four oh six at Texas. Four oh two at Texas. I think it's one eighty six at Tennessee. One eighty two. Dang it! You're in I the right think ballpark. It's, yeah, yeah. 
I think it's 76 at Clemson. 74. Dang. So close. Uh, and then I don't know the rest. Uh, yeah, 108 at Providence. Okay. So, so you got needed, three of them. And yeah, I, needed a handful more at uh, at at Clemson. Yeah. Needed to stay, yeah, probably two more years unless they had just an exceptional year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, no, that's uh, that's interesting. I, don't, I guess we're just t- talking about a little bit of basketball at start. We won't get into the details of it. But I, just my airing of grievances, I hate everything about this game on uh, Saturday. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, let me go through the litany. Um, one, it would be way better if they were playing Memphis. Always been a stand for Tennessee playing Memphis. Way more entertaining game. They're playing a mediocre North Carolina State team. North Carolina State to the east in Raleigh, about five hours. Everybody's getting on a plane to go play in San Antonio, <laughs> which I don't think that's really Tennessee's fault. Rick, Bar- Rick Barnes seemed to be also very disgruntled about that fact. Uh, I remember a while back, I can't remember when this would have been, but in a press conference he was like, we wanted to play a home and home with them. And we were even like, hey, we'll go we'll go to y'all in this first year, even though we already have road games in North Carolina and, and Wisconsin, but they wouldn't do it. So I think Rick Barnes agrees with that. So that's my big that's my first grievance. I'm a hater of neutral <laughs> site games. It. And it well, again, why are we going to San Antonio for teams in North Carolina and East Tennessee playing? Second, it's a doubleheader in the Hall, Hall of Fame. What what is it called? Classic maybe. Hall of Fame Classic. Yeah. yeah, there's a bunch of these Hall of Fame games. The first game of the doubleheader. Is California and Ole Miss, a team in the Pacific and Central time zone, tipping off at 7 p.m. Eastern time, <laughs> 6 Central time, 4 Pacific time. Yeah. Only for the two East Coast teams <laughs> to play in the later game at 10 p.m. Eastern time. Flip them. It makes no sense. Flip them. It defies all logic. It does. <laughs> I know the fans probably don't are, aren't going to like having to stay up till 10 p.m. Eastern time to watch. I imagine not a that lot of them game's going to be over at midnight. I know I it's a per- Saturday, but still. I'm personally not a fan of it from that aspect, and I'm not a fan of it because no one's going to sit up and be reading our stuff at 12.30 in the morning after the game's over. So those are my airing agreements. Three grievances. Uh, yeah. Not playing Memphis, which, whatever, that's a small one. Going to San Antonio to play a team in North Carolina. And then the Hall of Fame Classic, just defying all logic with the oh, order oh, of the games. Series, point. series, by the way. Series. Hall of Fame series. Yeah. Yeah. Don't disrespect <laughs> what's going down. Don't, yeah. Don't disrespect the Naismith were, Hall of Fame, Ryan. Yeah. yeah. If that is even my what bad. the Hall of Fame is for. My, my apologies. But yeah, those, <laughs> no, but are, those we'll, are three great points. We'll I mean, get, we'll get the last more one especially. Flip the games. Flip yeah, the, games. The, the last one's the biggest one because it's yeah. just so avoidable. Yeah. The Memphis one, whatever. That's just a personal thing. The second one, again, it, from the way Rick Barnes talked about it, I think he's a little disgruntled with the fact that they're going to San Antonio to play this game anyway. Sure. The third one's just so avoidable. Well done. Well done. <laughs> it's, it's good to get on a good rant in the morning, yeah. right? You got the blood flowing. You're ready. It's like my porch pirate conversation, which, by the way, I'm expecting a package on my porch today. I'm a little bit nervous. Yeah, this podcast you got to get right back now. home quickly. Got to get back home. Uh, but anyways, we'll we'll get to some more of the actual basketball analysis maybe coming up yeah. later in the show. But there is a, there's a couple of real nice rants for you right off the top. All right, let's get to the big news of the day. Released on Wednesday night on ESPN, the full SEC football schedule. It's going to be the first time since 1991 that the SEC has had a, a divisionless conference. Everybody's going to kind of be in one pot together uh, and... and Yesterday, we got to finally see what these games are going to look like. Now, we've talked about a lot of these games before, right? A, a good handful of them have already been announced, have already been released, have already been reported on and or confirmed, but now we have it in its full entirety. So I'm going to kind of go through it in chunks, right? Stop at each uh, each of the two bye weeks, which, hey, if that's news to you, that is new, double bye week format or open date format. I, maybe I should say, going back to yeah, a previous bi-week. conversation. Yeah, don't get Ryan heated I about know, that, too. I know. We've already, no, got, we've his, already, we've already got the blood pumping. Uh, Jack was texting us about it yesterday and had bye week in it. And I, I didn't, I, even, I think you might have even said bye week. Yeah, I, I, I think you might have. There too. you go. Yeah. But we'll, uh, let's do that. Let's go in chunks and then we'll, we'll talk about it from the end. Uh, first four weeks. One interesting matchup. So you have week one, Tennessee versus Chattanooga. Week two, Tennessee versus North Carolina State in Charlotte. Actually, there is news to that one. Week three, Tennessee versus Kent State back home. And then week four, Tennessee travels to Oklahoma to take on one of the SEC's newcomers. Let's stop there. Ryan, I'm going to pass it to you first and foremost because that North Carolina State game got a little bit more interesting as of yesterday morning, Wednesday morning. Yeah, North Carolina State added... Coastal Carolina transfer quarterback Grayson McCall, who obviously is 
you know, a name most college football fans are familiar with, despite him playing five years at, at Coastal Carolina, was fantastic on, on those teams with Jamie Chadwell a few years ago. This year was not having as good as a season. I think he played in seven games before he suffered a season-ending injury. But, uh, yeah, a big addition for North Carolina State. And obviously that's a program that's been really solid in the ACC, had another good year this year, went 9-3. and three. I didn't realize until yesterday writing that story, they actually will be down in Orlando with Tennessee in the Pop-Tart Bowl a, oh, yeah. a few days okay. before at Camping World Stadium against Kansas State, I think. That's right. Um, so, yeah, that, that matchup becomes, you know, I think it was already going to be a, a decently challenging matchup, and obviously it's not like a super marquee at a conference game, but, you know, definitely a game. Kind of reminds me of the Pitt games uh, two and three years ago where that's going to be a game that is definitely not going to be an easy win for Tennessee by any means. Pick one to have for the rest of your life, Cheez-Its or Pop-Tarts? Cheez-Its. Yeah, Cheez-Its. Cheez-Its, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, well, we'll stay in unison on that one. The other interesting thing about that game is that it is a neutral site. So, hey, let's just go ahead and, and talk about the elephant it's, in the room. Nico Amaliava is going to be quarterback next year. You get the first game for Nico at home against Chattanooga. You get to warm up for about four quarters. <laughs> then you go on the road. Now, it's not going to be a neutral site game, but, but it is going to be a game yeah. in their territory, one that Tennessee fans have to go a little bit further to get to. That's going to be a big-time atmosphere, I think, for that game, especially because what you said, Ryan, a second ago, not only is is North Carolina State coming off of a pretty darn good year this year, one of Tennessee's projected opponents a couple months ago, yeah. but also they're getting this new quarterback that I think people are going to be extremely excited about. Challenge right off the bat for Tennessee. Yeah, NC State's a team that's physical, you know, good defense, well-coached. Uh, they're a tough out no matter what year you play them. And, you know, Grace McCall... <coughs> He went back to Coastal last year, but it's two years in a row now. When he entered, he was one of the hottest quarterbacks in the portal, and now he officially transfers to NC State. We'll see what he can do there, but this is going to be a tough out for Tennessee. I don't think NC State's some giants that you have to really worry about. It's not even going to crack the top four hardest games on Tennessee's schedule, maybe even five. I'd have to look at it again. But this is a tough out early in the season, a good test for Nico, and you mentioned neutral site, but it's Charlotte. You know, It's in NC State territory. Yeah. Yeah, it's in a uh, jacket and nail on the head on all of that. North Carolina State, I think, as a program is very much just what you said. Like, you know what they're going to kind of be. Mm-hmm. You know the baseline is high, and they just haven't, you know, been able to get over the hump for, with Dave Doring. So it's not going to be, you don't think at least, maybe it happens in what, I don't know, it's probably been there about a decade now, uh, next season or something. But you know it's going to be a hard game, not an impossible game by any means. I still think Tennessee's fan base is so much bigger, and the tickets will be split. It's, you know, for that game that it'll be pretty. It won't be like, oh, it's in it's at, in Charlotte. It's just going to be a lot more North Carolina State fans. But it, it should be maybe a more true neutral site, uh, unlike you know a lot of times when Tennessee plays in Atlanta uh, against sure. a smaller fan base or obviously <laughs> last year in Nashville. And I think that's kind of going to be a good thing for Tennessee. Obviously, it hurts them in that game. But when you talk about Nico Yamaliava's first true road start being at Oklahoma two weeks later, I think it'll be good that he'll have at least a little bit of experience playing in uh, something that's not just a true 100% Tennessee crowd. Yeah, and that's why I also think that this is an early good test for Tennessee that's, you know, I, I'm certainly not going to go and we're not going to talk about must-wins or anything like that, but basically what I'm looking at with this first little chunk of the schedule is you don't want to be 2-2 two and two after the first four weeks, and that, that daunting test at Oklahoma staring you in the face in week four on September 21st, that's going to be a tough one. I, I think there's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's going to be a challenge for Tennessee. It's going to be a challenge for Nico Iamaliava. We don't know what things are going to look like at that point, but certainly that that one kind of only will be added uh, importance if Tennessee does lose to North Carolina State. You want to get off to as good of a start as you can, but two losses in the first four weeks will be challenging. So not to go ahead and already start to get into the win-loss column, but uh, two big games away from Knoxville in the first four weeks for Tennessee. I think that Oklahoma game is huge. It's so huge in the schedule. And, you know, you mentioned first true road test for Tennessee in the season and Nico and Oklahoma, you got to look at from their perspective too. I mean, yeah, this is their, I don't sure. want to say it's their welcome to the SEC moment because I don't feel like that'll happen for them until they go on the road. But the, Tennessee's a upper tier SEC team. They're at least a top half SEC team. I think we can all agree on that. So Oklahoma will be ready to roll for that game. I imagine in Norman, it's their first SEC game in general. So that's going to be a really tough out. I think it's one of Tennessee's tougher games on the schedule. And, you know, Brent Venables goes six wins in year one. I wasn't high on them entering this year, but, hey, 10-win season in year two. He turned it around pretty quickly. We'll see what Jackson Arnold, you know, how he is next year as a, as a sophomore. But that's among the hardest games on Tennessee's schedule. 100%. To me, 
this game is the only game in addition to Alabama and Georgia that I think Tennessee, at least sitting here in the preseason, will not be favored in. So yeah, it is probably the most winnable. I don't know that one or Alabama since you get Alabama at home. I, I, so to me, it's a huge game and a chance for Tennessee. The way the schedule unfolds, and we'll get to it more in a little bit. Like they'll be, they'll have a great chance to be in the hunt for the twelve-team college football playoff, even with a loss here. But with a win here, I think you truly put yourself in. All right, you're going to be very serious contender to make the playoff very deep into the season. I, there's just because after this game, uh, I think that's the thing that, that stands out the most. This game is, I guess that's after Dubai. So we'll get to that in a second. But yeah, yeah it's a lot of manageable games uh, between Oklahoma and you know, really Georgia in November. Second chunk of the schedule, start with a open date in week five. That will be September 28th, last game of September. Then Tennessee goes on the road to a formerly SEC West opponent in Arkansas. Tennessee comes back home for back-to-back home games against Florida and Alabama before another open date. So an, two open dates surround the at Arkansas, uh, against Florida, and against Alabama game games for Tennessee. That's a pretty intriguing three-game stretch right there. Oh, hundred percent. I mean that—that's that's what I, you want if you're a you know if you're a fan. You want to see your team against yeah. big teams. Three SEC opponents right there. I know Arkansas is you know having trouble, but I will say the two the farthest they have to go is definitely Norman and Fayetteville, and they get a bye in yes. between. So that's really that nice point. that they don't have to go to Norman and then yep. to Fayetteville back to back. That would be just tough. So they they get the open date. Uh, in between, which is nice, and then Florida and Bama at home. You know that you'll take that any day of the week. No, hundred. That was going to be my my main point too. Is those are the two longest road trips by far. So getting those in back to back weeks would have you know would have been a challenge. You know, Rick said it a little bit ago that you know we're not going to talk about must wins. To me, the Arkansas games must win. I mean, you just look at it from the oh, sense of like, that <laughs> I, yeah, that, I think that's right. That's a can't lose. Yeah, I, I mean, in Arkansas is going to be bad. I, I, yes, they that's are. That's not one I really. I know it's on the road, but it's not one I look to and worry about at all. Yeah, I mean, I generally agree with that perspective, but it's just when you look at Tennessee's schedule next year and how Tennessee struggled on the road. They play Vanderbilt, which you know will be a win. In Arkansas on the road, those are two games you just you just have to win. Yeah. You're not gonna, you're almost certainly not going to beat Georgia on the road, and then Oklahoma's a very very tough task. Not that it's impossible. So yeah, that's one they have to win. Um, and I mean, I think it's hard not to look at the schedule and just kind of laugh at the fact that they play Florida and Alabama in back to back weeks, and that's going to be a crazy you know eight day seven day stretch two week stretch in Knoxville is the Vols prepared to play I don't know their two biggest rivals in back-to-back weeks at home yeah I think so too and depending on how some of those other games before it goes you might be having a an SEC nation you could even be having a, a college game day I mean something is probably going to be, go, be going on during that month of October it's going to be a gigantic month uh, but there's Tennessee you get the opportunity to sort of avenge two losses from last season from the 2023 season I know that's easier said than done but you get both of them back to back, um, you know, right there in front of your home crowd. So that's a big one. And of course, Alabama stays on the third Saturday in October. Then another open date. Again, that's a new part of the format for this year as the SEC moves to 16 teams. Also, well, I think Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's late Thanksgiving. Uh, that's early the, Labor that's day. the thing. That's okay. Why. Yeah. Late Thanksgiving uh, is, is thrown in there in November somewhere. So. That's kind of the first two chunks of Tennessee schedule. Any other thoughts on on those games? Yeah, two two quick notes. Uh, I think things that break well for the schedule there for Tennessee. Obviously, Tennessee gets Arkansas coming off a bye. Arkansas gets the bye week, their first bye week after they play Tennessee. So it'll be five straight games for the Racerbacks to open uh, the season, including the four Tough ones. the four weeks before they play Oklahoma State on the road, UAB at Auburn, and then Texas A and M and in Jerry's world. So. Arkansas is coming off a tough stretch going into that, and kind of to a similar point, I don't think there's a single part of Florida's schedule this year that isn't a tough stretch. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's good for Tennessee today to get Florida just later in the season because you know so much of Tennessee, which this isn't necessarily a valid excuse for Tennessee, but they've struggled to beat these bad Florida teams a lot. And part of that, I think, is just from the fact that they play them early in the season when Florida's, they're still high. You know, Their season hasn't crumbled. When all these... Tennessee loses. It's just like it feels like it's been so common. Tennessee loses to Florida early in the season. Florida's season crumbles afterwards just because they're not that good of a team. Well, 
you'll have some potential opportunities. Not that Florida's schedule is extremely hard before the Tennessee game, but just getting them later in the year uh, with a chance for Florida had to have already taken some lumps to take some some bumps and bruises, I think, will, will be a good thing for Tennessee. Yeah, and circling back to Arkansas, one other note on that, and you've already talked about the, the big schedule that they had right there, though. The other interesting thing, though, is that, that Tennessee is going to be their first big home game of the year. So I don't know what that fan base, I don't know where the apathy is right now. I don't know where the excitement is right now. Obviously, it's an SEC fan base, so they're going to get themselves excited. But it's kind of their first big game in, uh, I almost said in Neal Stadium. What is that stadium? That's Bomb DW. Walker? No, that's the basketball. Uh, DW? DW Reynolds Racerback Stadium. That's right. That's a long one. Bomb Walker's the baseball. Bomb Walker's the, the baseball. Yes. Um, what is the what is the basketball? The basketball, uh, the basketball it's, palace it's in the a, Midwest. Uh, it's got a. Uh, it's got. I'm one embarrassed of those names. to myself. Yeah, it's, it's got a, one of those names that you just know. It's a it's a good one. I see Jack looking it up in the corner of my eye. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm blanking on it. Oh, what is it? Um, it's a house of oh, horrors. Oh, I knew this. I I was thinking of it. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's the same initials as the baseball stadium. Bud Walton. Yeah, yeah Bud, Bud Walton. Walton that's it. right. There you go. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so there you go. So I, I, I do, I do think that Arkansas Razorback crowd will be excited uh, for their first big home game of the season. Just another little wrinkle to Tennessee's schedule. Okay, let's move into November again. The open date closes out October. Final five games at Tennessee's stretch: uh, versus Kentucky in Week Ten, versus Mississippi State in Week Eleven, at Georgia in Week Twelve versus UTEP in Week 13, and then at Vanderbilt in Week 14 to close things out. Now, excluding Georgia, so let's take them out of it. You're looking at the other four. Tennessee's final four opponents, Kentucky, Mississippi State, UTEP, and Vanderbilt, combined for just a total of 17 wins last season, and that's also with the Wildcats' seven wins taking out a large chunk of that. So depending on which way those teams are going to go, I know Kentucky's got a new quarterback and Brock Vandergriff from Georgia – but it does seem like Tennessee's got an opportunity to really kind of stack some wins there in the back part of the schedule. Again, that Georgia game is daunting. you got to go to Athens. That one feels like a loss kind of off the bat. But again, Mississippi State, you absolutely cannot lose at home. Uh, Georgia, or excuse me, Kentucky, you cannot lose at home. I I think that the end of the schedule sort of presents Tennessee a pretty good opportunity to build some momentum again besides the game against the Dogs. Yeah, and we mentioned staying at home for Florida-Bama, then they get the open date, and then it's two more home games. So they're not leaving Knoxville forever. And you you look at Kentucky and Miss State, honestly think Miss State is the more challenging one. And and we see Kentucky every year, You, you know, Tennessee yeah. plays Kentucky every year, so we're all very familiar with how that program's Quaint. been in the recent years. But Mississippi State with Jeff Levy, who knows what that offense is going to look like? They could play spoiler to a lot of teams, and maybe they come into Knoxville and give Tennessee trouble. Um, but all these are winnable games outside Georgia. As you mentioned, Tennessee should roll pretty easily here in the back half of the schedule. Yeah, two two thoughts. One, you probably on paper wish that you had that second bye week a little bit later and mm-hmm. you didn't have five mm-hmm. straight games in the season, but I think at the same time that's kind of void a little bit given that you get your last two games against UTEP and Vanderbilt. Sure. Those just aren't going to be yeah. games that you lose, like, so you don't really have to nice worry about that. Nice homecoming layup against UTEP, yeah. and then you go to Nashville and take care of business. Exactly. Um, two other, I guess, three things I had. Kind of sad. I always liked Tennessee playing a good team, that, or maybe not even a good team, but an SEC opponent the second to last week of the year. They were never... When everybody in the SEC was always playing the the bye game, the second to last week of the year, it, it, lettuce week. Yes, it, it felt <laughs> like uh, Tennessee always played an SEC game, which is better. That'll change this year. Uh, and then just the fact, I wonder if this ever happened. Tennessee plays four straight home SEC games in an eight game conference schedule. So they played their first two on the road, four in the middle at home, and the last two on the road. I. I doubt that has ever happened, uh, yeah, but it's kind of an, an interesting note uh, I had looking at the schedule yesterday. There's a lot of tough schedules out there, and I I don't necessarily know if Tennessee is one of the toughest. No, no, it's not even close. Uh, yeah, maybe like the it, easiest. That's that's. I, I was I, I was thinking to myself yesterday. I was like, Ole Miss is is a very. But easy. maybe maybe Tennessee got some of the most breaks out of any out of any team in the you know in, yeah. in the conference. There's just some I mean, really nice parts of the schedule that I think lines up well, and of course. You're going to have your, your Georgias, your Alabamas, your Oklahomas. Those are tough games. The begin, the first four games, I still think, are a big challenge trying yep. to get Nico Iamaliava ready for this position, but having to go to Charlotte to face North Carolina State, having to go to Norman to face Oklahoma, like that's a daunting part of the schedule. Everything else, though, 
you can kind of find a break or, or some sort of advantage here or there. I think it's pretty middle of the pack. Any schedule with Georgia and Alabama on it is not going to be considered one of the easiest, in my opinion. Sure, but, but everybody's got at least, what, like Texas, Georgia, Alabama, maybe two out of the three? Everybody's got at, one of Texas and Oklahoma. Right. I don't I don't know. So everyone's that. probably got it. And they do. And I mean, the way they schedule all of this was to kind of try to slant it like they do in the NFL, where you're playing teams. The good teams have harder schedules, and yeah. the lesser teams have lesser schedules. So I think from that standpoint, maybe Tennessee and LSU of kind of the what we think will be the top half of the league maybe have easier schedules. Yeah. Yeah. But when you look at, I mean, even looking at Kentucky's schedule, like man, I can see why Mark Stoops wanted to get A and M because. He's not going to mediocre his way to 8-4 and four next year and probably not all that much uh, with the, the way the schedule's about to start working out in the SEC. Yeah, the the team I'm very curious about is just Missouri. If they are able to follow up that 10-2 and two season with another maybe 9-win season because that's a team that for years we've looked at on schedules as, okay, this is very gettable. And, you know, Tennessee doesn't have Missouri, so it doesn't pertain to them. But, but that's, that's the team I'm most curious about in the SEC next year. But just... Finishing off my thoughts on Tennessee's schedule. Yeah, it's it's gettable. The road test at Norman's going to be tough. And then, of course, Bama-Georgia. But outside of that, it's not too bad. Yeah, I really do think that if Tennessee can sort of survive the first four weeks, if they can get out of there 3-1, and one, they're setting themselves up in a pretty good position to uh, to, to really kind of roll into the middle and then the, the late part of the year. So, I, I, I'm to be honest, I, I'm most interested by that first four-game stretch just because of those first two games. Realizing that you're breaking in a rookie quarterback who – probably won't you know start the 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 citrus bowl i i guess nothing's been confirmed but it doesn't look like it it seems like joe milton's going to come back to start that game for tennessee so you know it's going to be big test for nico right off the bat yeah no 100 percent. and to jack's point about missouri i mean it's missouri brings back a lot too so yeah. they should have a, a good team and you know i haven't necessarily it has, doesn't feel weird that tennessee doesn't play missouri I guess since you know just Missouri joined the conference ten years ago, it feels extremely weird that Tennessee doesn't play South Carolina. Like it feels yes. weird, yeah. Keeping up with and I mean we've even written about it some, but just like keeping up with South Carolina stuff in the portal, it's like usually just any team Tennessee plays, like you're kind of tuned into what's going on there because it's going to have an effect on that game. And uh-huh. I almost catch myself, I'm like, well, it doesn't really doesn't yeah. really actually matter what, <laughs> yeah, what they, they do because Sanders, it's like yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, that's actually the exact one that that I had thought of too. It's fascinating. Yeah, I, I'm kind of bummed about that. It, it doesn't feel like Tennessee-South Carolina has been this big rivalry of the past years, but since South Carolina ruined Tennessee's season and the way Shane Beamer is, it feels like this Tennessee-SC game has had more significance in the Hypo-Beamer era because it came in at the same time, had the, you know, shared the Coach of the Year award. Yeah, it's, it's true. just It's been a See, little similar and, until this year, obviously. And that, that is my favorite part of college sports, right? Like, do I love the the standard traditional rivalries? A, a Tennessee Florida, of course, a Tennessee Alabama, of course, an Iron Bowl, of course, stuff like that. But then you also get these pockets of kind of mini rivalries, right? Yeah. Tennessee's in a mini rivalry with South Carolina, in a mini rivalry with Missouri right now. I remember a couple of years ago there was a little bit of a mini rivalry with Auburn, just from from basketball and different things like how about, that. How about Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin? Ole Miss was a little bit of a mini rivalry just a, a couple of years ago, where you had your sights on each other and you were like, "That is the team that we've currently got beef with right now." I just to your point, I, I love those little mini rivalries that kind of you know spur up every once in a while and certainly Tennessee had had two of the last couple of years and neither one of those teams is on Tennessee's schedule coming up next year little history lesson for you young you young kids <laughs> before before the SEC went to divisions in 92 Tennessee played Ole Miss every season that was one of their permanent opponents um so I feel like that's a rivalry that's very much more sure. slanted yeah. the other way like I don't feel like Tennessee people necessarily care all that much about Ole Miss but you go down to Ole Miss and Mississippi, there's a lot of disdain and dislike for Tennessee. So, uh, to your point, yeah, obviously with Lane Kiven, it's kind of popped back up. Yeah. And I'm sure it will if Lane, as long as Lane Kiven stays at Ole Miss. And obviously, Tennessee will play everyone in the SEC a lot more frequently than they have in the past. Um, but that one's kind of kind of like Auburn, too. Tennessee used to play Auburn every yeah. single year. That was a, a more traditional rival that, that went away uh, with the onset of divisions in 1992 yeah so uh, again I, I love the traditional rivals that everybody has but I, I also love when you get these little mini just it's almost like it, a feud in wrestling right it's just a couple of weeks you get it done you you get in you get out yep I had to throw my reference yeah, in there he didn't like me calling him a, a young a young buck so yeah. he, he was gonna, he, Rick was definitely gonna get a little jab back at me with a wrestling reference it's funny because I was just going through my head and thinking there's maybe three teams currently that 
or let, let's go four. Four teams currently in the SEC, whereas Tennessee plays them. There's no like rivalry significance, historical significance, really. A&M, LSU, Miss State, and Arkansas, and they get two of them this year. So, yeah. I mean, because like Oklahoma, Josh Heupel played there. Texas, Battle of the UTs. You can make all these connections with all these other teams. Ole Miss, Kiffin, Auburn, the, the historical significance, historic significance. So people are still four, upset about Bruce Pearl. <laughs> Just throw that <laughs> yeah, into the basketball go. or but, the football conversation. But those four. You yeah, know, yeah, they played two of them point. this year. And Auburn's, you know, it's just it's weird to think about. Auburn's not a far drive from Tennessee. It's like four and a half hours or, or maybe five hours. It's one of the closer schools. Auburn was always a weird school that they were in the SEC West because they're one of the further schools east in the conference. But, no, you're right. And even with Mississippi State, it's not that it's necessarily – there's no Tennessee connections here, but obviously Jeff Levy worked for Josh Heupel at, at UCF. Yeah. So that'll be another just interesting – you talked about it earlier with Jeff Levy and us knowing what – what you're going to get with Kentucky and less so with Mississippi State. That'll be another kind of interesting element is obviously both those teams uh, and those coaching staffs will be very familiar with the offense that the other one runs. Yeah, you don't want to lose to your old OC in the first year of their uh, of their new tenure. And it's kind of, I mean, it's uh, it'll be much less prevalent with Tennessee, Mississippi State, because Jeff Lubby also worked for Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, and now he's ah, there you go. back in the conference at their biggest rival, so, or in the state even. So that'll that'll be an interesting storyline uh, as well as Jack, we move forward. I know you watched yesterday, Ryan. I don't know if you did, but I did get a pretty good kick out of them showing Josh Heupel championship highlights before yeah. revealing the Tennessee-Oklahoma game. And I, I watched a couple of I was like, well, okay. You, know, you, don't ever get, you don't get to see too many of those kind of highlights, So, but it was uh, you got a pretty good kick scene out of that did you watch the whole thing oh i i pretty much tuned out once the schedules had gone full reveal uh then you probably wouldn't have picked up on this but i i don't want to use the word unhinged but that (laughs) show last night was just a little out there like (laughs) they were just having fun the panel was and it was great it was very entertaining but I mean, like Joey and Greg and TiVo, and I don't know if it was Laura hosting, and she kind of brought it out of them, but it was a great show last night, and it just was very laid back, and it was almost like they were just having fun. So that's that's great. Now, uh, after love- watching the CFP ranking show all season and how heavy that is, and how much yeah. just arguments and like. I don't, I don't know the word for it, but Formal. that was a breath of fresh air last night. That's sure. that is great to hear. I, I will say, you know. I guess maybe through all those college football playoff selection shows and stuff like that. Like I, I am, I need my break from the from the talking heads. I don't care what any of them have to, you know, have to yeah. say. Like I need my break from the TV studios. But that is good to hear because you're right. The other the other broadcast became very, you know, just very serious and somber even yeah. sometimes. So it was strange. But uh, real quick, let's touch on just a couple of transportal activities because we can't just you know hit the pause button on basketball forever. So we do need to get into some of that talk. Really quick, though, do you want to talk about the departures or the, uh, I don't want to say arrivals, but the uh, the ones that are staying first? Uh, departures, I guess. Okay, let's talk about the departures. Um, give me one moment, I'm going to be honest. I, I, bet, I, that probably name I bet that you're going to go the other way. Talking about, okay, so we got, um, obviously, all the DBs. Slaughter made it official since we've last been on here yeah uh t-mac was a yeah, big one so we got uh to to jack's credit whole lot of defensive backs warren burrell mo uh offensive lineman mo clipper jr cornerback brandon turnage safety jack latrell offensive lineman addison nichols offensive lineman connor meadows defensive lineman tyler barron defensive back to nico slaughter defensive back to sean rucker and defensive back to marion mcdonald believe those are the 10 and tyler barron right did you say yes yeah yeah yeah, so I believe th- those are the 10 in the portal for Tennessee right now. Not a bad number compared to some of the other, you know, just free falls that, that some of these uh, some of these other conference programs are taking right now. Yeah, I mean, you look at the starters. You know, Barron, it, he was in the portal last year for, or maybe two years two ago. Two years ago, and he flirted with it again yeah. last yeah, year. Yeah, he, he's flirted, it's um, a great word. So, I mean, with what James Pierce showed and what I think Josh Josephs can still do and Caleb Herring coming up, that's not one I really look at and lose a lot of sleep over at all. But the the DBs, this, it's the same kind of deal. Here was my thought on that. And, Ryan, you yeah, let me talk know if you agree. But we know what these guys are. And because, I mean, I mean, Jack Luttrell's young, but, you know, whatever. The, the guys who are experienced. Just being real. Jack Luttrell. Just being real. Come on. Okay. It's the guys that are experienced. Burrell, Slaughter, all these seniors are graduate transfers. 
we know what they are, and it's not like they've played a lot of great football at Tennessee. Yeah. And, you know, they keep getting playing time year after year. I think it's almost good for Tennessee to just wipe the slate clean, and they have to put new new yeah. guys out there and see what they got. And, you know, I don't know. I, I, kinda, I see positives in it is what I'm trying to say. I know the depth is nothing right now, but I see positives in it. I 100% agree. It's it's honestly the exact same way that I felt about Olivier Kamal and Yuris Plasic. And more Olivier Kamal because Olivier Kamal is a good player. But it was like... It's a great reference. It felt like Tennessee needed to get rid of those guys. So they, Rick Barnes would be forced to play Jonas Adu and forced to play Tobey Awaka and let them play through mistakes and let them <laughs> learn on the court. And look what's happened. Yeah, exactly what Jonas Adu. So Wilt to Adu. me, it's, it's the same... <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I got him. That I was got him. One. I got him. So it's the same way. I mean, Turnage and Burrell, absolutely nothing. Like yeah. Slaughter, yeah. like it would be nice to have him for a depth piece. He was versatile. Maybe he would put it together at safety more than corner. I don't. Yeah. It just felt like he never found a home. And to me, it always felt like safety made way more sense for him just because of the style that he plays. Uh, T-Mac is the one I would say, like, yeah, I would rather have T-Mac back than not if I'm Tennessee. And he was the sixth one of these DBs to enter, and that was the first time it gave me pause. I was like, yeah. oh, okay, let's think about this for a second. But still. My, and it, my yeah, it's not there. even to the, like, I think Jordan Thomas can step in and be just as good as T-Mac, but when you talk about the lack of depth that Tennessee also has at safety, it would have been nice for Jordan Thomas to be able to play safety and have T-Mac uh, at corner or at star. So, no, I 100% agree. Uh, Ricky Gibson, I I thought he's been really impressive every time we've seen He'll him this year. He'll start the bowl game. And, yeah, that's the thing is, like, the Tennessee will have literally nobody at corner for the bowl game. But, hey, good news, you play Iowa. They can't pass the ball. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's honestly so nice for Tennessee to play Iowa with, with, the with everything that's happening. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Try to get to the third level. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> a, a few more notes. I'll go on the cornerback one first. Tennessee, two, two guys, or at least in the defensive backfield, that they are pursuing in the transfer portal. Uh, Trey Jones from Central Michigan is a safety. He has one year of eligibility uh, available. Tennessee has offered him. Uh, that would be a guy that would make sense. Again, most of those guys that have entered have been at corner, but we know Jalen McCullough is gone. Wesley Walker, will see what happens. He's a safety. He still has another year of eligibility, but was a senior. Went through senior day festivities. So we'll see what happens yeah. there. Uh, that'll be a name to watch. And, and then Oregon State cornerback transfer, Jermod McCoy, uh, to me is going to be one of the bigger defensive back names in the portal. Was pretty good. as starter for Oregon State as a true freshman this past year. He's got... I don't know, a dozen, 15 offers from guys in, from teams in the portal, including a lot of big names, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Florida, uh, uh, Auburn, I think, amongst them uh, mm-hmm. in the SEC. So that'll be one to watch. Uh, a guy that – you talk about a guy that played a lot, has experience playing, and also has three years of eligibility remaining. That would be a huge win. I think uh, – I can't remember who had it first, but I think Volquest or, or GoVols247 now reported that he is visiting Tennessee this weekend. So obviously a little bit of traction there. Uh, I think – I would think Tennessee would be adding three, if not four, defensive backs in the portal. It's uh, what they're going to add most, it feels like. Yeah, d- just from a body standpoint, they need yeah. guys. Um, and I would say, like, Tyler Barron, I think certainly is a loss because he's good in, in the names that have been linked uh, to him earlier. You know, Georgia, Alabama, Ole Miss, maybe Texas, too. So it looks like he'll, he'll stay in the conference. I kind of feel the same way I felt about Dylan Gabriel in the sense that I thought Tyler Barron was just going to go pro. So yeah. I didn't think he yeah. would be back in yeah. Tennessee. He's just pro- Honestly, it's probably just more IL money somewhere. Yeah, I feel like that's a pretty safe assumption. Can so, he go pro? Yeah, right. So yeah, he's like, I wonder if it's year. even like a uh, like Fourth a year, like yeah. a Julian Phillips situation, right? Julian Phillips hit the portal and then just decided to go ahead and go pro. Do you think it's any no, bit? That's there? more of like what Cam Ward's doing, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he's. I mean, to me, Julian Phillips was always planning on going pro it just got to the point where he didn't have a roster spot back at Tennessee okay. so he better enter his name in the portal just in case he decided he didn't want to go pro Barron already has a visit scheduled to Ole Miss there's a bunch of teams linked to him like there feels like there's a lot more traction of Barron potentially going somewhere else but he can go pro still and I would think he would be drafted I don't not high but yeah late three guy. late second day early day three guy like I, I would think yeah Lane Kiffin made a couple uh, has made a couple trips to Knoxville here in the last week. Yeah. 
Uh, and also Jaden Daniels was here, apparently. Don't know why. What was that about? This isn't like a connecting airport or anything. Why are, <laughs> why like are Kiffin and Jaden Daniels taking a picture? Here. And not I think Kiffin was here to talk to some of the Tennessee <laughs> yeah, players. You're right, right. Yeah. Okay, the Jaden Daniels yeah, one. Yeah, that's what I'm that saying. That one's confusing. My only thought is like, maybe he was on like a private jet from Baton Rouge to New York and they needed like gas or something. But again, at the same time, that's not that far of a flight. I would assume you'd be able to fill up up in New York. Yeah. So I don't know. The Jaden Daniels one to me. Much more peculiar. Yes. Yes. How'd that even happen? The, yeah. the coach, of course, the you know, coach on the recruiting trail makes sense. We're not going to get any context. No. So. Yeah. That, His post. Uh, yeah. That was funny. Uh, and then real quick, the, the other kind of uh, the, the good news for Tennessee fans coming out of the last week is that both of Nico Iamaliava's starting tackles, uh, Ryan, as, yeah. you, as you wrote here in this article, the season depends upon the right arm of number eight uh, behind center. The fortunate thing for him, though, is that t- his two starting offensive tackles are on their way back to Knoxville. John Campbell Jr. and Gerald Mincy both announced that they will be returning to the team in 2024, uh, which is massive. Both it of them is, were, yeah. were solid players for, for Tennessee. Obviously not perfect. Some of them had their troubles elsewhere. But you just talk about who Tennessee's best two uh, tackles are, and it's those two guys right there. You add that into the fact that both Cooper Mays and Javante Spragans did not go through senior day activities. That, to me, is at least an indication that they're, what, thinking about coming back? It's yeah. in consideration. That is a pretty good place to at least start building that line. I guess you don't have too much more to build right there for the starting five, but that's a pretty good uh, way to kind of start the start the offseason, start the build to 2024 with Nico. Oh, 100%. And Tennessee needed it so badly because of there's one Andrej Carrick, like, and we know Tennessee loses one guy. There's one guy on Tennessee's roster. You're like, all right, feel <laughs> decent about him stepping up into a starting spot. I don't even feel decent about anybody more than one. I'm not even sure I feel great about Andrej Carrick. He was pretty bad when he played uh, right. this season, but serviceable and certainly yeah. no yeah. tackles that you felt good about stepping into yeah. the, that spot. And again, not that it's impossible to get guys in the portal. I mean, John Campbell, Gerald Mincy, both guys Tennessee's gotten in the portal and have been serviceable. There's just not a lot of great offensive linemen in the portal, and there's especially not a lot of great offensive tackles in the portal. They're hard to find. They're heavily recruited, which means that you're going to have to usually invest a lot of NIL to get them. So it's huge not to do that in in Tennessee. Obviously, I'm sure they have used some NIL to retain those guys, but uh, to be able to turn their focus in the portal to some other spots and and be a little less dependent because otherwise, like you talked about it, corner or defense back will be certainly the guys they bring the most in and probably, I would say, is the most important part when you look at the roster, probably there in tight end. Offensive line and offensive tackle would have been number one and number two and number three if they didn't get these guys back because it would <laughs> yeah, just be like, who's going to play? That's what I was going to say. There, we're looking, there's a scenario where four come back, right? Sprags, Mays, the two tackles that have already announced. There was also a scenario where all four wouldn't have. So can you imagine, you know, what the offensive line would have looked like then? So uh, this is huge. And if Mays and Spragans do come back, all you have to worry about is the left guard spot. So that's a great thing for Tennessee. It'll be turning attention to those two guys in in Tennessee, making sure to get them back. And then, again, not that you'd feel great about him as a starting starting offensive tackle, but Dane Davis, I think, is certainly a serviceable backup and, and a guy that it's not the end of the world if someone gets hurt and he has to come in and play. And, He's in the exact same boat as Mays and Spragans and that he was a senior that has eligibility remaining and did not go through senior day festivities. So that'll yes. be another one maybe a little less important to begin with and certainly maybe less emphasis than now that John Campbell and Gerald Mincy are back, but uh, another guy to keep an eye on moving forward. And then just one more quick note before we go ahead and wrap up football is that uh, Tennessee's elder statesman of the locker room, Keenan Peely, the <laughs> 45-year-old linebacker himself, uh, will be returning to Tennessee for 2024. It will be his seventh year of college football, which is just pretty crazy to think about. I actually think this might have been one of the guys we talked a little bit about last yeah, week. So yeah, it was don't, reported. Yes, yeah, so offi- don't he officially got that waiver approved? I think on well on Friday is when they announced that. Yeah, so don't need to uh, spend a lot of time on it. But again, a, a, a veteran piece back for Tennessee's defense, a guy who who knows this program and this defense pretty well after being on the sideline after coaching it up for about a year. So that is certainly good news that was confirmed to Tennessee. Uh, in the midst of those, uh, both those tackles announcing their return as well. Yeah, no, 100%. Not a ton to harp on there because we already talked about it, but 
and we might have said this last week, but Keenan Peely started his college football career in 2016. It'll end in 2024. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Wild. Mission in there uh, between, so it's not like he's been yeah. on an yeah. active roster the whole time, but pretty, cr- pretty where crazy. Where was the fact. mission? Florida somewhere, right? Uh, Couldn't tell you where. Orlando. Orlando. He's going that? back to a familiar place. Uh, two quick NFL notes. Uh, Gerard, uh, Gerard Mayo could potentially be in line to take over for future Hall of Fame coach Bill That's Belichick in New England. Yeah. Yeah, uh, fire uh, Bill Belichick uh, to promote from within. Yeah, uh, they ain't what, doing it. Some of the reports out there are saying that's why he. I do hope that's why he declined taking uh, head coaching stuff last year. I do hope that. I mean, I hope he gets a job somewhere because, to your point, he's been linked to a lot of head coaching jobs in the past. I don't. Maybe he has turned him down. I, that's news to me. If he did, but uh, certainly a a talented up and coming young coach. You're not firing Bill Belichick to hire his linebackers coach as his head coach as the new head coach though. And then the other one is, uh, well, we don't know if we will be seeing Mayo as the new head coach of New England next year, but we definitely know that we will not be seeing uh, Joshua Dobbs as the Vikings starting quarterback (laughs) coming up this weekend. A little bit of a rough stretch for Dobbs. They moved to Nick Mullins. Uh, Obviously, you know, it's been a challenging situation throughout the whole year for, for both Dobbs and Minnesota here in the last couple weeks. So just two quick NFL notes right there. If you want to go find out more on either of those stories, if you want to go find out more on literally anything we've talked about today so far you can head over to rockytopinsider.com yeah sucks for josh dobbs man he was having i mean it's been a great story and it still is a great story but you know it just didn't work out in minnesota i guess yeah and I, I do think it's one of those things like nick mullins isn't Kirk, it's not like Kirk cousins is healthy so nick mullins could easily play bad yeah. enough that dobbs gets another chance it's just and really to me it was only two to me, only two bad. It's games not like Josh Dobbs just completely fell flat on his face. You know? Yeah, like he wasn't throwing four picks or anything like that. He didn't have well, a turnover. Did he, did he throw four picks two weeks ago against? He did. The Bears. He did. He oh. did throw. He literally threw four picks. Oh yeah, that was the weird <laughs> game, right? One of those was on Jordan Addison, in my yeah. opinion. It went right. Through I think his two hands. of them were. But yeah, maybe yeah. Oh, um, and, but last week, just when he yes, they just yes. didn't score. They couldn't move the ball. Uh, and, yeah, Southern Miss gets its revenge on Tennessee for the Heisenberg Super Regional. Nick Mullins, Southern Miss quarterback. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Deep cut. Yes. A great deep <laughs> the cut. World, Gentlemen, let's, uh, let's switch gears real quick, if you will. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about basketball. Again, Tennessee's got a game coming up on Saturday night against North Carolina State. Hello, Wolfpack. Just talked about them. However, last Saturday, Tennessee welcomed in number 20, Illinois, into uh, Thompson Bowling Arena at Food City Center. Uh, and Tennessee got the victory over the Fighting Illini by a score of 86-79. to Tennessee followed that up with a win against Georgia Southern on Tuesday night. Ryan, where kind of are we with this team? Obviously, Tennessee gets their first top 25 ranked win of the season against Illinois. And that's not to say anything about, you know, that, that Wisconsin win looks really, really good at this point, but they weren't ranked at the time. This was a big one where Tennessee had a sold-out crowd. You welcome in a... a marquee non-conference opponent into the arena. Tennessee uses a big second-half run to kind of keep that games at arm's length. Uh, what did you think about this game and, and just kind of overall thoughts on Tennessee right now about 11 games into the schedule? Yeah, it was a game games. they needed to win just from the fact that they lost their, their last three kind of big matchups. So first big game at home all year, you expect Tennessee to win a game like that, and and that's what they did. And Certainly, Jones, they do play well again. A number of guys, Santiago Vescovi played well, but to me, it's just another example of how important Dalton Connect is to this team, where Tennessee starts fast and then has, I don't know, a 10, maybe a 10-minute and change stretch in the middle of the game more in the first half, but it carried in the second half where they just couldn't score. They couldn't get a shot to go, and it just looked so much like a lot of their games last year is when shots didn't go, and it just felt like, well, they're a mental block or, or something. They just couldn't get the, the lid off the rim. And then all of a sudden, Dalton Connect scores 11 of Tennessee's first – or 10 of Tennessee's first 13 points in the second half. He scores yeah. eight points on a 10-0 run for Tennessee where they kind of flipped the game. I think they went from down four to up six on that run. And then, not that everything was perfect after that, but Tennessee settled down, and other guys got involved and started hitting shots, and Santiago Vescovi got going. It, it just felt like – one of those things where making shots can be a little contagious, and Dalton Connect and his offensive abilities spurred Tennessee out of some struggles. And then a game that it looked like it was going to be potentially Tennessee having to scratch and claw and win with defense in a tight game, Dalton Connect was electric, and Tennessee took control of the game. And not that it, they just coasted from there, um, but after that 10-0 run, it never felt like Tennessee was going to lose. And in a game where their offense wasn't great, what they scored – 
80 something points, 86 points, not something they would have done last year. Yeah. Yeah, I I thought that was a uh it was really well, you know, um God, I lost my train of thought. That was a really good way that you put that, just kind of summing all that up. Uh, but North Carolina State coming up on Saturday afternoon, excuse me, Saturday night. What kind of challenge is that going to be for Tennessee? It's a solid North Carolina State team, not a great one. Uh, they're 72 on Ken Palm. I think they're kind of going to be a bubble team. Uh, the good teams are the power five teams they've played this year. They lost to a really good BYU team in a neutral site. They lost, uh, really got killed at Ole Miss in what I guess was the ACC-SEC challenge. Uh, they beat Boston College. They beat Vanderbilt. Neither of those teams are very good. Um, so it's a, it's like a, just a bubble-quality team. And in, in, in a neutral site, it's a game Tennessee will be expected to win. They should win. Uh, I imagine it'll be close to double-digit favorites in that game. And obviously the connection, DJ Burns. Yeah. I remember him, Vols fans. One of my yeah. absolute favorites. He never played at Tennessee. Was there for a year and redshirted a king, an overweight <laughs> king down on the low block. Uh, really talented scorer. I mean, him and Jonas Adu's games are so different, and their athleticism is so different. It's going to be hilarious to watch those two guys play uh, against each other. So that's kind of what to know about North Carolina State, a game Tennessee should win, but certainly uh, their last challenging game as they get Tarleton State and Norfolk State to wrap up the non-conference slate. Yeah, SEC play just right around the corner with Ole Miss coming up on January the 6th at 6 o'clock p.m. right here in Knoxville. You talk about Jonas Adu right there and... Man, he, you can just tell that that he has really found a comfortable spot in his game. He, he is cool, calm, and collected when he's out there on the court. And I think a lot of that is just because of confidence. You know, confidence in sports is something I feel like we talk about almost in a cliche type of format, right? Ah, oh, he looks more confident throwing the ball. Or, ah, oh, he looks more confident lining up on the field. Something like that. And yes, I, I think there's always a little bit of truth to that. And, and everybody just knows from, you know, when you're confident in your work, you're going to do it a little bit better. But again, I think sometimes we just kind of throw that out as a cliche. Sometimes it might not exactly mean right. I really do that do believe that this confidence is something that's affected Jonas Adu in a positive way the most coming into the season. I think you can tell that his coaches, his teammates, and the people in the building are really encouraging him that, hey, look, man, you've you've gone up against you know uh, Hunter Dickinson. You've gone up against Zach Eady. You've gone up against Baycott. You've gone up against some of the best, and we believe that you are on that level, right? We believe that you have that in you. Then he turns around and scores 30 points against Georgia Southern. Now it's Georgia Southern, but hey, one game before that, he set a career high at 17 points, right? So he's continually getting better here during this stretch, and I just think that this is all building at a at a very, very nice time for Tennessee. Again, you get the, the, the North Carolina State game coming up this Saturday. You get two pretty gimme games leading into the SEC schedule, but that's obviously three opportunities for Jonas Adu to continue kind of building this streak and building this momentum, building this confidence. So, again, that was a really long-winded way to just say, I think that sometimes we throw confidence and, and yeah. things like that out a little too much. Sometimes maybe just a blanket statement when we don't know, always know what else to say. But I absolutely believe that in this case, the confidence that Jonas Adu has, the newfound confidence especially, is what's elevating his game to where it is right now and being one of the top players on Tennessee's team. 100%. It's well, Everything you just said about the confidence I think is 100% accurate and has been a big important part of it. And I guess some stats to, to back how good he's been up. And, and Tennessee's, they've played, I think it's seven games against Ken Palm top 100 teams out of their first 10. He had 10 and seven uh, points being the first one, rebounds being the second one against Wisconsin. He had 14-11 against Syracuse. Only five and one against Purdue. Obviously his worst game. He only played, he fouled out in 13 minutes trying yeah. to deal with, <laughs> deal with Sack <laughs> um, he had Lots it, of big guys are going to do this year. He had eight and 11 against Kansas. He had 13 and four at North Carolina. Uh, he had 17 and 8 against George Mason. He had 14 and 7 against Illinois. So he's just been consistent in those big games, which is what Tennessee needs. They need more consistency uh, from him and from everybody. So to me, that's been one of the biggest developments of the early season. And I got to give Rick Barnes a lot of credit with this one. People talk about it a lot of him being rigid and maybe inflexible in how he does some things. And I think there's some truth to that. But he's, he's I mean, we, we see him in practice. And I think the fans know this to some degree. He's really hard on his guys extremely he is demanding he is i mean he's on dalton connect all the time dalton yeah. connects to the best player and he's on him all the time he has it's almost like kobe in practice adjusted i think the way he is coached jonas a do i think jonas a do is i don't know the right the right phrase of 
the way to phrase it, and so I'm not going to try to say anything too derogatory because I don't mean it that way. I think he's much better when he's built up, and that's what Rick Barnes has done. And you, you talked about it. He said all that stuff about he proved that you know he can he can play. With, he came at Rick Barnes at a North Carolina State game said, man, he just played he the did. three best centers in the country, and, and he's just as good as those guys. That was nonsense. I mean, he, <laughs> Jonas Adu held his own in those games, but he got outplayed by Zach Eady. He got outplayed by Hunter Dickinson. He got outplayed by Armando Baycott. Like, don't get me wrong. I left those games feeling better about Jonas Adu than I did going in, but I didn't leave any of those games thinking Jonas Adu was as good as any of those guys. And Rick Barnes has done a ton to boost up his confidence, and I think that has been really, really important. And you've heard Jonas Adu talk about it. He feels a lot more confident on the offensive end. He feels comfortable. Uh, he just seems a lot more decisive as a decision maker, and, and he kind of knows what he's knows what he's supposed to do, know what's expected out of him, and is playing with tremendous confidence and not second-guessing himself, which I think he has done a lot on the offensive end his first two years. And I think it's easy for Tennessee players to do that because of how hard Rick Barnes can be on him at times. So I think kudos to Rick Barnes and the rest of the staff. I think the way they are coaching, the way they are handling Jonas to do right now has been super important in getting the most out of him. And I also give a lot of credit to Tennessee's guards. I, you know, I know that they're not Jonas Adu, but Tennessee's guards have done a really good job in the last couple of weeks of making sure those those down low guys are fed, right? Making yeah. sure that they're getting good passes, making sure that those passes are where they need to be on the right block in positions where they can go and make a play out of it. Ryan, I think this is something you talked about on the postgame show, but there was a period of time where Jonas said he would catch the ball and just go straight up to it, right? Now they're they're the guards are putting in a good position, and Jonas Adu is a little bit more mature to say, okay, let me analyze quickly, let me process everything. Yes. He might pass out of it. He might shoot out of it. You know, he, he might do something else where he steps out to a th- to the three-point line. He can shoot one of those. It, it's it's really just they're not all the time, of course, and you saw you know some struggles in the last game as well. But when the when the offense is running efficiently, you can just see that it's from top down. You know, there, there's good inter interlinking parts through it all. And I think we saw that so much in the Illinois game. I was so impressed by Tennessee's ball movement on the offensive end. Yeah, it was beautiful sometimes, and a lot of credit to Santi for yes. that game too. He was the first magician. Six seven minutes they came out. Oh playing, yeah. and the ball movement was just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. It was. It's excellent basketball. Yeah, um, and that's still when Tennessee's offense is going to be at its best. Yeah. I mean, it's good that they have a guy like Dalton Connect who can score one-on-one when it's things aren't clicking and shots aren't going in, but when Tennessee's offense at its best, they move the ball like that. Uh, yeah. And something I'll add on, Jonas, I do, I think you guys have hit the nail on the head about decision-making and all that stuff, but when he gets set and, like, his feet set, he can shoot. Yeah. And, and I think that's something we've seen glimpses of in the last three years, but it's really showing this year that dude's a shooter. He he, he's set. he's really worked on that shot, and I, I think that you know whether it's hitting or not, I do think that that gives Tennessee a little bit just kind of extra you know an extra level of of it's not dynamic dynamicism. What's the what? dynamic? What's like they're the, a little bit more dynamic. They're a little bit more dynamic, right? When he can do that, just because it forces that center to play him on different spots of the court, and you know maybe kind of pick and choose where those threes are going to come. I think there was one during the Georgia Southern game that Rick Barnes hated the placement of. I think it came after four empty possessions for Tennessee, and it was a quick three point shot by Jonas Adu for the fifth. So you know maybe maybe he didn't like that as much, but I think if you're Tennessee, you've just got to like the versatility that him being able out and shoot from kind of the mid range, maybe even shoot from the three-point range, the versatility that that gives the team. Yeah, and that one was bad, and I thought the same thing at the time. But it's, I think he's, generally speaking, been taking them at the right spots and the right times in the shot clock. Like, he's he's passing up open threes when it's early in the shot clock, and it just feels like he has a better, better feel for it. Or it's not at his spot. Like, you want him to shoot at top of the key or in the corners. You don't want him shooting a lot of wing threes. And I feel like he's when he's open there, he's been turning them down. I think that is where the one that Rick Barnes didn't like was taken at the other night. But, uh, no, it, it's overall been been a lot better any other uh we're wrapping up we're, we're really getting against it any other player uh that, that you'd like to spotlight or or any other kind of quick thought about jackie as well any other kind of quick quick thought about basketball no not player wise i think you know it'd be a little bit remiss not to talk about how bad the second half was against georgia southern the other night they played just terrible and you know i've kind of gone back and forth on this a little bit because Inconsistency is just like so much of a feature of college basketball. Like there's yeah. just not a lot of consistency, and what you get one game, you're not going to get the other. I mean, Arizona's probably the one team nationally that it's been, oh, they've showed up and, and played well every single game. I'd say Connecticut's probably like that too. They lost a close game at Kansas, but there aren't many teams that have done that. I think it's still just at least a little bit worrisome that we're 
10 games in the season, and there have been two halves, being the first half in North Carolina and the second half against Georgia Southern, where Tennessee just completely didn't show up. That's something that you expect maybe from young teams, but Tennessee's a, a very veteran team. They're three, three of their starters are fifth-year seniors, and, and the other two uh, are two juniors who have played a lot of college basketball. So that's, you know... Maybe the inconsistency as a whole, not playing great all the time, I understand, but just how bad they were in two of the 20 halves they've played this season is at least a little bit worrisome. And when you talk about Tennessee's roster and Tennessee, like what's bad about Tennessee, what's the negative, I think the two, the two, the really the one of the two things I'd point out, first would be the post depth is a little bit concerning if they have some injuries. The second is just the fact that there's been too much inconsistency. Sure. I hear you there. That's really good stuff right there. And if you want to go find out any bit more about Tennessee basketball or really Ryan has a great article out on that second half, kind of what Rick Barnes said. Rick Barnes was disappointed with the play of his veterans after that Georgia Southern game. So you can go and check all of that out at RockyTopPinsider.com, which is also where you can find all of your Tennessee news, notes, and coverage. We have it all over on RockyTopPinsider.com and RockyTopInsider on all social media platforms. That is at RockyTopInsider on Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. Wherever you are, we will meet you there. If you want to follow Jack Foster on Twitter, you can do that at Jack Foster Media. If you want to follow Ryan Shumpert on Twitter, you can do that at rshump00. That's S-C-H-U-M-P. If you want to follow myself, you can do that at Rick underscore Butler. That is R-I-C with no K underscore Butler. But of course, just make sure you're checking out RockyTopInsider.com each and every day to find the work that three of us are doing to cover as much as we possibly can around the University of Tennessee Athletics program as we can. That right there is going to wrap us up for today, though. We're running a little bit longer than normal, a hair longer. We're approaching one hour and one minute as I speak these words right now. So we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. But we will have coverage from the Tennessee-North Carolina State game coming up this weekend. So make sure you are following on the Twitter, uh, following online, following on on. Ryan's Twitter, whoever it is, make sure you're checking out the coverage for the basketball game. Otherwise, we will keep our ears down to the transfer portal. Make sure that we have everything going on there for you to see. So just make sure make sure you're checking out Rocky Top Insider each and every day. Uh, and that's going to wrap it up for us. So for Ryan Shumpert, for Jack Foster, I'm Rick Butler. Thank you so much for listening to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Podcast. We'll see you back for the next one.